0: You know is a skill we talk a lot about here at rice and one of our core values is grit and grit is working hard and persevering in the face of obstacles and those who are the most successful learn how to get past those failures and use them uh, as a way to get better and so i think the skill of grit that i learned and that we teach our student athletes now is a real differentiator to them when they go into the workforce
1: Welcome to a very special series of Realising Your Potential from Accolade Wines. At Accolade, our purpose is to enrich everyday moments through our amazing and award-winning wine brands. The driving force behind our business is people. And as a proponent of community, we believe some of the most powerful learning comes from people sharing their own stories. In this series we continue to explore the topic of high performance by speaking to those involved in elite sport and are privileged to also hear from those involved in one of the most exciting communities of Paralympics and Olympics. I'm your host Ange Murphy, Chief People and Communications Officer at Accolade Wines. So join me as we explore this fascinating world of elite sport. In today's episode, I speak with Tanner Gardner, Senior Associate Athletics Director and Chief Operating Officer at Rice University. Tanner Gardner, welcome very much to the Accolade Wines, Realising Your Potential podcast series. It's super exciting to have you here. Um, can you just start off with telling us a bit about yourself and your um, background and what, what you do?
0: Yeah, sure. First of all, uh, thanks for having me on today. I, I, uh, I've appreciated listening to uh, episodes of Realizing Your Potential, and so I'm honored to be on here today. Um, so I, I'm from the United States, and I grew up in the center of the United States in a, in, in a state called Kansas. Um, to kind of give you the brief background on me, uh, I was a, an athlete, a student athlete, when I was in uh, high school, and I, I did wrestling. So um, I had the opportunity to attend Stanford University on a wrestling scholarship um, and, and really had a fabulous experience there. Uh, We'll talk more about it, but, you know, Stanford really prepared me uh, for for life after both through athletics and through academics. When I graduated from Stanford, I worked for a company called the Boston Consulting Group doing management consulting, Um, had the opportunity to uh, get my MBA at Harvard Business School, uh, and around that time, I did some work in the athletic department at Stanford, Uh, returned to the Boston Consulting Group. And then, you know, we'll get into this a little more, but ultimately pursued what has become a passion and and career dream for me uh, to work at a university in the athletic department. So I I currently work for Rice University uh, in the Department of Athletics. Rice is a top 20 ranked institution in
1: the United States, uh, and and we have a fabulous academic uh, and athletic uh, offering here it does sound like the dream job. But when you talk about athletics, you're talking about the whole sporting department. So 18 sports at Rice University that you're responsible for. Yeah,
0: we we, we have, uh, depending on how you classify it, 16. But yeah, we, we have we have 16 sport offerings here, uh, of which, as you would call it in Australia or international, we offer athletics, track and field is what we call it here. But yeah, I'm, in my role, I kind of, I'm responsible for the oversight of Uh, all those sports particularly on the business side so we have a what's called a director of athletics who's my boss who's responsible for the whole department and then within my role uh, I oversee the business of our department.
1: How did you initially get involved in wrestling which then became the way that you went to Stanford University which is a phenomenal institution in terms of learning and very well known where did that all start for you? Well
0: it's an interesting story actually it's a little bit of dumb luck
1: that I ended up
0: doing wrestling. I, you know, in the US growing up and it probably similar in Australia to some extent, uh, basketball is a very popular sport for young people. And I always wanted to be a basketball player. Uh, The problem was uh, I was five feet tall and that was conducive to being good at basketball. So I actually got cut from the basketball team when I was in middle school uh, and the wrestling coach was our uh, physical education teacher and he asked me to go out for the wrestling team. And so I did, uh, and I was fortunate to have a lot of success in it. Um, One of the unique things about the university system in the United States is that uh, we offer scholarships uh, for purposes of athletics. And so um, I got the opportunity to go to Stanford University on a scholarship, and that's not a school that I really had on my radar uh, growing up, but because of my athletic endeavors, uh, com- combined with, you know, I was, I was a good student, I worked hard in the classroom, um, you know, that combination uh, of, of skills and accomplishments allowed me to, to go to Stanford on a wrestling scholarship and really provided me an opportunity that I never would have had without athletics.
1: Particularly in Australia, the combination of doing, being an elite athlete and having a scholarship to a university it is not as common and a lot of athletes I know sort of put their studies on hold because the balance between training and academics is really hard. Can you talk to us about how that works, both for you and now as you're running the program at Rice?
0: Sure. So, you know, the, the, as I said, the the system of athletics as a part of the university is very unique in the United States. And in fact, you know, you, you mentioned that in Australia, um, the athletes often take time off of their studies to participate in the athletics. But but one of the reasons why the United States has had so much success in in Olympic in the Olympics is because universities act as a, as a pipeline and a feeder to the Olympic movement. So, you know, students can go get an education paid for through scholarship and train uh, for sports that are in the Olympics. And then, you know, they ultimately graduate from college, have a degree and then, and then go into the Olympics. But, you know, athletics at the universities are very serious here. There's a multiple divisions, but at the highest level, which is where we compete at Rice and where we competed at Stanford, you know, I don't want to say it's a full-time job because it's taboo and there's some connotations around that, but it's a really big commitment. So, you know, my, my, my coach in, in college told me, you know, there are three things which you can choose, you know, there are three things in college which you could choose to focus on academics, athletics, or social life. And you can really only be good at two of those. And so, you know, we're, we're competing 20 hours a week in athletics. We're doing our studies on the side. And so if you want to be a successful student athlete and a, you know, student and athlete, both in the classroom and on the wrestling matters, it would be, you have to sacrifice things. It is a very rigorous, uh, rigorous uh, activity. I mean, there's a lot expected of you, uh, but it's very rewarding as well particularly if you're a competitive person. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I did not have a good social life in college. I, I had a fine social life, but I certainly had to sac- you know, sacrifice a lot. I'd get up at 6 a.m., I'd work out, I'd go to class. I'd work out again in the evening. Uh, eat, study, go to bed, and I do it again. And you know, those are just the sacrifices that you make to get to the top of your craft
1: uh, in athletics. And I've been to a college football game in Atlanta, actually, when I was there for work. So, just to give people, the listener, a, the size and scale of the crowds that you do get to your university, university level sport. What I mean, they're big, aren't they? It it it,
0: it can be huge. I mean, I think you know, up to a hundred thousand people uh, at Texas mm. a which is down the street from us, they get 100,000 people at their games. So, I mean, it is is a craze. I think on average, we have 30,000 people at football games, but it is a big deal.
1: Before doing your master's in business administration at Harvard, you worked in sports administration at Stanford as the senior staff project manager. What was the transition like from a um athlete student into your first foray into sports administration you know it it was unique and like I said
0: you know what I do now is a passion so I had this really transformational experience at Stanford and that you know I had I got the opportunity to go to a school that I might have otherwise not gone to because of athletics and so you know for from a for a kid from Kansas which for for those of you who aren't familiar with all the the states in the United States is a small state in the center of the U.S. It's very rural. Um, And I went to this big school in California. That was a top school. And I'd never been to California in my life. And so I had this really transformative experience, kind of the character development, the work ethic, the academics uh, that I was able to uh, glean from my time at Stanford. It really changed my life and it helped me, you know, get my job out of college at the Boston Consulting Group. And so throughout my work at, at BCG, you know, the we help companies solve tough problems um, through kind of analytical, data driven problem solving. And as I went through that, you know, I kind of matched my transformational experience as a student athlete with my skill set that I was developing at BCG. And I said, hey, I think kind of this approach to problem solving could be really valuable at an athletic department because the traditional model of employees in, the, in athletic departments, and this is changing, is, you know, People start there. They're trained there. Often, coaches end up moving into administration, and so it's not necessarily thought of like a business per se. And so, I looked at it and said, "Hey, I can really contribute something neat in making these universities more uh, or better-run organizations by applying some business disciplines." And so, you know, I so my my foray into it was working at Stanford before I got my MBA, and it was really eye-opening to me because as a student athlete, you don't quite understand. Kind of what goes on beyond the curtain. You just show up for practice, and you don't think about how much it costs, the resources, all those things. You, you just you just go, and then once you get on the administration side, you realize it's a, it's a very complex organization. Uh, you know, we're obviously part of a university, but then within an athletic department, um, you know, these are these are like businesses in some sense. And you know, at Rice, we have a thirty million dollar budget, and at the biggest schools, they have two hundred fifty million dollar budget. So these are like you know small to medium sized to even large businesses and so to kind of get behind the curtain and think you know and see that how this is very complex and you know business skills can be very important here uh it, it was it, it was it was really unique to me but when i when you kind of come with the passion i have for the institution of college athletics behind that i realized that that was something that i would want to do long term as a career
1: Did you have that thought early on at Stanford when you were that sports administration was your career path or was it more sort of something that came to you over the course of time?
0: It came to me over the course of time. I I had never really considered it. In fact, when I was in college, but you know, when I was a consultant, um, we had the opportunity to work for a few universities and, and that was kind of where I understood that, Hey, listen, this, you know, a university is actually a place for business people. It's not just a place for academic people. And, you know, I think when you're looking for jobs, if you can combine your passion with your skill set, that's a really special thing to be able to do. And I saw that opportunity working at a university in the athletic program. And, you know, I'm fortunate that that's what I do today.
1: What lessons did you take from your time as a student athlete to when you moved into sports administration, well, I think number one uh, is learning how to work hard. Um,
0: the you know, the the amount of work and hard work that you have to put in to be successful at, in high level athletics, and this just doesn't go for college, but also professional. Um, you know, is significant, and so you know there are a lot of a lot of folks that I work with here, and then talk to as our alumni. They love to hire former student athletes because they know that. They've learned to work hard, and second, they know that they've learned how to balance a lot of things. Because when you're practicing two to three times a day, you're going to five classes, uh, you're trying to maintain your nutrition, you're studying, you're traveling to competitions. You know, you you learn how to work hard and balance a lot. And so, you know, my my first job out of college, you know, was very rigorous. Working for the Boston Consulting Group, we worked many hours, and we were working on a lot of things concurrently but you know for me it was like I've done this before I, I learned how to do it I, I had to balance weightlifting training conditioning school studying nutrition this is nothing new for me and so learning how to uh, not only work hard but prioritize uh, are both critical skills and then the last thing I, you know is a skill we talk a lot about here at Rice and one of our core values is grit and grit is you know working hard and persevering in the face of obstacles mm. you a lot as a student-athlete and as an athlete, period. And those who are the most successful learn how to get past those failures and use them uh, as a way to get better. And so I think the skill of grit that I learned and that we teach our student-athletes now is a real differentiator to them when they go into the workforce.
1: During your time as a student-athlete, did you suffer setbacks?
0: Yeah, I I did suffer setbacks. I think, you know, when when you become a student-athlete at the university level, it's typical that you were the best athlete on your team in high school. So regardless of your sport, if you're playing at the college level, you know, if a hundred, you know, if there's a hundred student athletes who compete at college, 10 of them are in high school, 10 of them get to go to college. And so you're already taking the top 10%. And so you're used to winning right when you get to college, that that's all, you know, and that's why you got recruited. Well, everyone's good in college. And so it's like every, everyone's like you. And so you learn to lose. Uh, And, myself and others were intensely competitive people which is what got us to college but you quickly learn that you know rarely some people do but you you don't win all the time and so my freshman year um of college i think i lost 17 wrestling matches which for context i didn't i lost two matches my last two years of high school going from losing two matches over two years to 17 in a single year was significant so i had once again this gets back to the concept of grit Right. I, I could have said I'm losing. I'm going to feel sorry for myself uh, and not get better. Or I can say, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm just I'm going to use this as an opportunity to get better. And after that season uh, where I lost 17 matches, I I think the rest of my career, I lost less than 20. So um, and, and that was over the previous or over the next three years. And so it, th- those are the kind of setbacks that that it, pretty much everyone deals with and those who can personally them with grit are the ones who ultimately would be the most successful in the end
1: and and when you were a student athlete and now in the athletics program that you're you're running um the debrief um, can you talk a little bit about that process
0: yeah I mean uh, kind of learning learning how to accept feedback or being coachable I think are skills that are critical in our organization today and so you know I don't want to hire anyone who can't receive feedback here If they if they can't take constructive criticism, if they can't be coached, if they can't receive feedback, uh, then it's going to be hard for them to be successful in our organization. And I would say anywhere, although, you know, teach their own and running their organizations. But you learn to be very coachable uh, and accept feedback as a as a student athlete, because you're you're getting constant reinforcement from your coaches. And I I think that's another thing I really like about student athletes who who work for uh, our organization is they're used to being coachable and, and they ultimately become the best the best employees because you know they're going to they're going to take feedback and they're going to say you know what you're right i need to get better and i'm going to get better versus saying uh, you know i don't need to get better at anything and so it's it's this aspect of coachability humility and those are skills that you learn naturally through athletics
1: i've been thinking about that point about um how we're so open to feedback when we participate in sport but then I think about it sometimes in the workplace and someone says I want to give you some feedback and we immediately become a little bit defensive and I'm quite fascinated with what is it about what happens to me that when I'm training with my trainer as sport I'm really open to it but when I'm in the workplace I'm a lot more sensitive or defensive or I don't want to hear it and how can you translate that, that, that from what you're doing sport into the workplace? And it's interesting what you say about student athletes being yeah more open to coachability and feedback.
0: Well, yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's an aspect of humility that you develop as a student athlete and that's just by losing a lot. Right. So you, you have to be, or you're not going to get past it. And so we talk, we talk about them as setbacks, but they're, they're things that really humble us when we lose a lot. And so you know, I, I've, I've lost a lot and I've got a lot of feedback. And so that's not something for me that is uh, significant today. might hurt my ego a little bit, but uh, I know that I want to be better and, and and I'm striving to be the best version of myself. And to do that, I need feedback.
1: How has data changed the way that you work with your athletes?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it, it's a nice dovetail into my contribution to college athletics from a skill set perspective because it's not very common that you see someone who comes from management consulting to working at a university and an athletic program. Um, but what I could bring and why my boss hired me is to take a data-driven approach. Uh, that's what we learn at uh, the Boston Consulting Group or at any management consulting firm is that we can leverage data to solve problems and. You know, we use two types of analytics here in the athletic department, performance analytics, which is what you're speaking to, Ange, and then business analytics. I tend to be more on the business analytics side and thinking about how can we leverage our data to kind of grow our brand and grow our revenues so we can reinvest those resources in our student athletes. But then there's there's the performance analytics side as well. And so, you know, we're constantly trying to think about uh, how can we leverage kind of the smallest pieces of data to optimize our performance. In fact, one of the core tenets of our uh, strategic plan right now, Vision for Victory, um, is thinking about how do we optimize student athlete performance uh, through the use of data and technology. And so we're, we're thinking about how do we piece together technology and specific uh, data sources to get a competitive advantage for our student athletes performance. Because one thing that is unique about Rice is, um, you know because we have such high academic standards, we cannot get necessarily anyone in here. So, you know, if, if there's 100% of athletes that you can recruit at a, a university, we can only recruit 10% of those student athletes here because of our academic standards. And so we might not always get the five star athletes, which in the United States is lingual for the very best. We're gonna get very good student athletes, but then we have to gain a competitive advantage. And we believe we can do that through data. And so that's why our team and like our sports medicine and sports performance team, is thinking a lot about what are the what are the competitive advantages that we can get and I could get into it but it's very technical. Um, What we are trying to do right now is we're actually we're actually working with a a local uh, medical uh, institution and our campus academics to found a high performance training institute in our athletic department uh, to really bring together multiple disciplines and have this interdisciplinary approach to performance optimization. We have these great engineering human performance professors and researchers on campus we have the best doctors uh from this medical institution and we believe that if we bring them together and, and effectively we act as their laboratory uh we can gain the competitive advantage which will which will help us rise up in competitiveness as an athletic department uh which is our objective
1: and is that program in play at the moment so i mean you obviously got key measurement points of how you want to do that is that how, how do you see success out of that program how what are your markers
0: yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, we're, we're still, I would say we're in the infancy of the program. We, we've long done business analytics. I've, I've worked at Rice for seven years and, you know, we've implemented a, a pretty uh, robust data program here. Uh, probably a lot of what you do at Accolade, but profiling your customer, getting getting into customer archetypes and then thinking about what kind of products you want to offer to those customers. Um, so we we've done a lot of that, but I would say we're still in the infancy of the performance analytics side. And so- we're, we're kind of defining those metrics. I think there's, a, there's an aspect of personal development in every sport, there's metrics by each student athlete that you wanna optimize. And so if you see kind of personal progress in an individual student athlete, that's one way to measure it. And then certainly wins and losses are another way to measure, measure it. I mean, that's ultimately, that's our ultimate output yeah. here on the athletic side. It's, it's wins.
1: Obviously, if you're a high performance university through your athletic program, you know, how important is that to then attracting the best students? Although you said you've got high academic standards and then you sort of almost work with, I'm not going to say, um, you know, still high, high performing athletes here, yeah, but you're almost kind of bringing them up, aren't you? You're kind of working with the, the raw product.
0: Another unique uh, aspect of athletics in University in the United States is, Uh, there's a phrase that a lot of people talk about is that athletic departments are the front porch to the institution. Um, You know, I I don't think that's the perfect analogy everywhere, but it's to say that the gateway to an institution for the average person is often the athletic programs. I mean, these games are on the major television networks, you know, some schools they get hundreds of thousands of people. And so I think they can be very brand additive um, to institutions. Now, it's probably a little bit less so at rice or Stanford because we do lead with our athletics. However, athletics, uh, I'm sorry, we do lead with our academics, but athletics can play a major part in building our brand. I'll give you a great example. Our football team this year, uh, our American football team uh, upset uh, one of the top 25 teams in the nation. It's the first time in 25 years we had beat a top 25 team. And, you know, we did an analysis after the effect of the number of impressions that we got. And I think, you know, I can't remember in, in the hundred, you know, 50 million impressions and four and a half million dollars in free earned media value that we generated through this win. And not only that, but we all we got an article in one of the most prestigious newspapers in the United States, The Washington Post. And, and I remember our president, you know, we were at a function together and he said, you know, this is this was one of my proudest moments of my time as a president at Rice. It's really hard to get in The Washington Post. And we had this fabulous article about, you know, Rice, this elite academic institution, which can't recruit anyone they want. They have to only recruit the best. Yet they persevered and they had the grit to upset this great football team. And it's this great story. And so um, it it made everyone proud and and ultimately brought positive brand recognition to our university, which, you know, we believe will uh, attract, help us attract better students, you know, in in universities in the United States, uh, philanthropy and giving is a big thing. Uh, And so people will give more money to the university to help it get better. And so I think athletics can be very additive to a university. Uh, It's the front porch at many of them, not always, but at a minimum, it is a positive value add to the brand of a university.
1: You know, you've got high academic students and high athletes. Yeah. Um, And how do you support them so that you know they they don't burn out. I'm really interested about what what the support program is for students.
0: Well, yeah, in in in, in athletics in the university, it's all the residential model. So you move away and you live at the university, um, and so you're away from you know your your parental systems for the first time. And so having a robust support structure around our student athletes is very important. I want to be careful in how I say that though, because I think particularly at Rice, that's something in our university's DNA. We want to provide great support structures around our students. Um, that will help them be successful. But I think because of the extra commitment in athletics, we have to go beyond that. And so, you know, we really provide kind of a a full suite of support systems, Uh, you know, academic advisors, not people who help them do their work, but people who help advise them, Um, you know, coaching staffs, nutrition staffs, sports psychology staffs, um, such that, you know, whatever the problems might be, we have a professional that we can, Kind of provide as a resource. We don't want to baby them as it would be. We want them to grow up and we want them to figure it out themselves. But we also want to have very good support structures. I also think the value of the team is really important. Mm-hmm. The camaraderie and the support system that your team provides uh, is just value because you know it's like we're going to war together, so to speak. And so we're all in this together, we're all getting up at six, we're all doing the same thing. And so it's like this shared suffering that we have. And so, you know, when one brother or sister is having a bad day, uh, those who are having a good day need to encourage them. And so I think the community of support you get through your team uh, is critical. And, and I think that goes through the business world as well, right? I, I think in consulting, we always worked in teams and the power of teams was the value of management consulting. And I, I think it's the same thing here at Rice. And, you know, if we have a good team, uh, and we support each other well, we will be a successful organization. But if we're individuals only and we're out for ourselves, we will fail. What makes a good team? First, I would say, and this is something my boss says, uh, be the master of things that take no skill, attitude and effort. And so I think first and foremost, you need to have people uh, who have a good attitude. Uh, Always, they bring a good attitude to work and they they give maximum effort. I think the second thing is having a good balance of personalities across your team. I always ask this interview question, in, in in my interviews with with all of our staff that might come here, I tell them that I think about our uh, our team like a portfolio of stocks in some ways. And you want to have a balanced portfolio. If you have all oil stocks, all consumer goods, when you're good, you're good, but when you're bad, you're bad. And so I think about the personality mix of our team in the same way. In that we don't want to have all Type A personalities. We don't want to have all quants or quals. We want to have a balanced portfolio. And so I think each leader needs to think about what's the balance of personalities you need on your team to be successful. And so I think effort and attitude is one balance of personalities is another. And then I think the third is great communication. Uh, And and that's the the other thing that I tell folks in interviews and I tell our team is we have to communicate well, because if we don't, and this gets back to the individual versus team point. um, If we communicate well, we will be successful. And if we don't, we won't. So probably a lot more aspects to a great team, but I think at a Attitude and effort, kind of the right combination of personalities and great communication are core 10 and it.
1: Just moving slightly away from your experience at universities, you did spend some time working for, for Nike. You know, what, what insights did you get from working at Nike?
0: Yeah, well, you know, Nike is a fantastic company. And, you know, the other topics that I know we're planning to touch on you know, you guess what sports people I admire. Mm. Phil, the founder of Nike, is kind of my icon in sports and sports business in many ways. Um, if you if you haven't read the book, Shoot Dog, On. Dog. Yeah, you don't have to. And I recommend that to anyone. It is a fabulous book on sports business, kind of culture. Um, and you know, Phil really founded this company on this culture of loving sport, and so when I think about Nike, I think about a company where people love the product and they love the product so much. It creates this culture where you, you you live in what you sell. Mm. And so you're, you're immersed in it and you're passionate about it. Um, and it's, it's not a, it's not a job for you. It's a way of life and it's a passion, which like I talked about how I feel in college athletics in many ways. Um, and, and that's the special sauce at Nike. And it's, and it can be hard to replicate other but you know, I, t- I talked about we're passionate about our student athletes here. I think, it, you know, if you work in uh, consumer goods, or if you work in wine, you can be passionate about wine. You love to drink wine and that's going to make you better at, at your job. Now you can't just love wine to be successful or you can't just love athletic gear and shoes to be successful. But if you do, um, it's going to make you that much better at your job. And I, I think, You know, to to draw on a lesson from Phil Knight and Shoe Dog, um, you know, Phil talked about a hiring philosophy of I'm going to hire good people and I'm going to find a place for them. And I think that's another part of the special sauce of Nike. They look for the best employees and, you know, they might not have a specific job for that person right away, but they find people who are passionate, smart and hardworking and they'll find a place for them there. Uh, And that's ultimately what makes them successful. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about working at Nike. Um, you know, one day it was 10 AM early in my tenure and, uh, my boss was walking by and I said, you know, Hey, Jennifer, can you come over here for a second? She said, um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to a yoga class and I said, what? And so they have, they have classes all day for employees. And if you need to go at 10 and immerse yourself in sport, you can, and, uh, that's what you do. But I think that's just emblematic of the culture, right? They, they provide opportunities for you to immerse yourself in kind of the movement or the product and. Uh, I, you know these are the types of things that make Nike successful. And, and I think Phil Knight is a, an icon in business and in sports, and you know what he, what he has done to, to build Nike um, is really remarkable. Fabulous company um, that I really admire.
1: I think it's something of the specialness about companies like Nike is almost people have a head and heart connection. So yeah. when you talk about that passion for the brand, yeah, you're really passionate about the brand, but you're really invested in it from a, from the, the contribution that you bring as well. So like you say, you can't just love wine or sports gear or sports or whatever it is, but you've got that head heart connection almost.
0: Which, you know, that in, 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 a, in a college athletic department, I think many people here feel like it's a calling to work here. And I, I'd say people at Nike would say that as well, but, you know, at, at university, we're providing opportunities for, you know, young men and women to come here and provide life-changing experience. We're teaching them the skills that are ultimately going to make them successful in life. And, you know, whether you're an athletic trainer, whether you're a coach, whether you're working facilities, whether you're in the business side, like I am, you know, that you're all working towards the good of the student athlete and changing their lives. And so that's that head heart connection that, that you talk about.
1: I mean, you've touched on what you're doing at Rice. There, you know, I'm really interested in the size and scale, and what your day looks like in terms of managing a program like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very complex organization. I mean, we think about the internal side and then the external side. You know, the inter internal side being kind of the coaches, the trainers, uh, the you know the strength and conditioning coaches, um, you know, facilities. Kind of, I'd say, kind of training and back-of-office stuff. And then the external side, which is what a consumer organization would think about, uh, marketing, sales, communications, uh, you know, sponsorship, uh, you know, anything that we use to generate revenue. And then a big part of universities is fundraising, so kind of philanthropic donations. And so I'm, in my role, particularly focused on the uh, kind of brand development and revenue generation side. And so, you know, I oversee teams of ticket sales that are selling tickets to our games, sponsorships who are selling sponsorships around our events. Um, and then, you know, marketing communications, which is kind of the brand development that goes behind that to make it successful, um, you know, to, to help us generate revenue that, you know, we ultimately will reinvest in our student athletes. And, um, you know, that, that part of it's really like a business, you know, we're, we're trying to generate revenue to meet revenue goals, to help fund our expenses. Uh, we produce over hundred events here every year. Uh, so we're a very event driven organization. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're always gearing up towards those events, marketing them, selling them. And uh, you know, it's, it's very fast paced. Uh, and so we work alongside our coaches and student athletes who are training for those competitions. They're, they're the ones who are ultimately participating in it. And so kind of the internal and the external come together uh, you know, to ultimately have our, our end product, which is our student athletes competing and then our student athletes graduating. You know, the, the a lot of my friends when I left consulting said it must be so different, you know, working in management consulting and working in a university athletics program. and I, They said, it's actually not that different at all. Um, I, you know, I, I generally see business as pretty similar across businesses. At the end of the day, you're solving problems. And so you got to figure out what your core set of problems is. And then you got to take a, you know, a, a creative and thoughtful approach to solving those problems. and that's ultimately what i do i know it seems very high level and authorial but I'm, I'm a problem solver i'm helping you know solve our big problems and then i'm helping our employees solve kind of their day-to-day problems
1: and you're managing people
0: and i'm managing people which is a big part of what i spend my day you
1: know obviously and i, and I know rice wasn't um, implicated in it but obviously a lot of press and subsequently a next netflix um documentary on the whole sports scholarship scandal in the U.S. and some of the big universities. How has that impacted reputation of or your ability to track students um, through sports scholarships?
0: Well, I mean, it's a it's a very unfortunate um, situation, which I think shines a light on a negative part of college athletics. And that like it, it's not not one acts with integrity. Um, and so I, I think. Uh, it shined a light on some of the, the bad things about college athletics. I mean, I think every industry has their kind of nasty underbelly and sometimes is exposed and sometimes it's not. But I, I believe that it helped a lot of us uh, reinforce kind of our commitment to ethics and integrity. I'm fortunate to work for a university where well, that was never compromised. Um, you know, th- these are the types of things that we steer clear of, I think, One of the one of the value propositions of our institution is we're always going to do things the right way, even if that means we we might not win as much as another institution, because our integrity is more important to us than anything. And and I think at many universities it it reinforced that where maybe they had strayed a little bit, that they're getting back to it. And I I think there's in addition, even here, more of a system of checks and balances here, because it could happen to anyone, right? It only takes one bad actor in Mm -hmm. an organization to end up on a Netflix documentary.
1: How has COVID impacted? the athletics program and athletes at your university
0: was significant. Um, I mean, for, for the first, I would say six months of it, we were pretty much nearly uh, completely shut down, which is on, I mean, it's never happened in maybe the history of college athletics, maybe in the 1918 Spanish flu in the United States, uh, it, it might've impacted, but it really changed. Um, you know, we go 12 months a year here and we were shut down for six months. And so I think, it, you know, it, maybe it gave our student athletes a rest, but it also kind of took away from their purpose. Um, And they had to really think about what are my values and how, how does all this fit into it? You know, as an institution, it it obviously hurt us significantly financially Um, without events uh, it's hard to generate revenue. And, you know, we have a lot of fixed costs here just because of the way that we're set up. And so, you know, unless you're touching personnel, it's hard to cut costs. You had to make some hard decisions here as an institution, uh, and, you know, as an athletic department and, and trim our costs to try to get within an envelope of the revenue we lost, um, you know, but eventually in, you know, the September and October frame, we were able to bring our student athletes back and our institution, was able to bring some students back. And I think, you know, we designed a very robust system of health and safety protocols that would allow our student athletes to come back and compete and do what they love to do and allow our students to come back and, and, and go to school on campus. We, of course, offered uh, virtual experiences, much like everyone does right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we ultimately found a way to make it work, you know, here, the the in-person experience in the small community is really important. And, you know, I think for student athletes, the mental health aspect of it was really hard and mm-hmm. it is to some extent, but getting them back competing and doing what they love in addition to their athletics was really important. And, you know, I think about we're, we're 14 months out of shutting down um, and we're, you know, by and large vaccinations are going really well here. And we're finally getting to a point where we can bring back people, but, you um, you know, I think the good thing about COVID was we, we've had to rethink a lot of the ways we do things and we will take some of those things out of the pandemic um, and be better. But part of them is virtual meetings. We don't have to meet face-to-face all the time and it can give better people better work-life balances. Just a small example, but we're constantly trying to think what can we take from this that will help us.
1: We talked about this a little bit um, about sports people that you admire. My, or, or, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a sports person, but because you're in sports administration, you've had such a long career in it. I just thought maybe there were some
0: sports people that you admire? Oh, that, that that's a hard question. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I, I love sports and I love watching sports, but I don't know that I necessarily have any kind of icons that I admire. Um, you know, I think Tiger Woods, despite kind of the personal challenges that he has, is one of these athletes who really, um, you know, had natural talent, but really was as successful as he was through hard work. And so athletes like Tiger Woods, kind of on the competitive side, will stick to that, but who, are so committed to their craft and work so hard that they combine talent with hard work to be, you know, really generationally successful in their field. Um, those are the type of athletes that I'm most fascinated by. So t- Tiger Woods, good example
1: of that. Do you believe in luck in, in success in sport?
0: I do. I, I think a cheesy phrase from a coach that is luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And so I think if, if you prepare well and you put yourself in the position to succeed, then you're going to get lucky sometimes. And sports is a lot of luck but there's no steps you got to put yourself in a position to be lucky and that's hard work and preparation
1: when you were a a high high level competing elite athlete as as a student how important was the trust that you had between you and your coach and how did that develop
0: well I mean it was very important and I think relationships is what it comes down to the coach first has to develop the relationship and as we think about our coaches here you know they're they're in some ways acting as the parents of these student-athletes is uh, the coaches who develop trust and invest in the personal life of so their student-athletes beyond just their competitive success are the ones who are the most successful Those are managers in general right Yeah, exactly you care more about your people then yeah. you're going to be people first
1: you know wrestling that was that was kind of your thing you now you manage 16 sports do you do you, what's your favorite sport at rice or is it still wrestling
0: we, we we don't have wrestling at rice so i'll say wrestling's my favorite not not all schools sponsor the san portfolio sports but at, for a lack you know to to avoid offending any of our teams i'll say wrestling's my favorite sport because now i've not had to pick a pick a favorite of of, of our teams here <laughs>
1: 2011 you climb kilimanjaro you've climbed machu picchu and then is it mount misogetu is that correct it's yeah it's a yeah. japanese
0: mountain near near uh, fuji
1: what was the attraction wrestling to mountain climbing
0: well I- i'm an intensely competitive person uh and i love challenges and so you know now that i can't wrestle uh wrestling's hard to do recreationally as an adult uh, I need to come up with other challenges. And so climbing mountains is one of those things that I've done, not technical climbing, but kind of more rigorous climbs. And so my wife and I, um, we, we are adventurous people. We love to travel. We love the outdoors. And so we try to, you know, we try to go on one big international trip every year. Uh, and, you know, if we can find a mountain or, or, a, or a physical challenge that's significant, we love to do it. And I mean, I, I think, those are, you know, that's kind of how we live our lives. We're we're adventurous, we're competitive, uh, and we like hard challenges.
1: How do you prepare for a journey like that?
0: Maybe it's not, maybe it's because I'm in sports, but I believe this applies to people who don't work in sports. So to me, daily physical activity is so important to personal success and professional success. So my wife and I, we exercise every day, seven days a week, not, not a long time, but maybe, you know, we try to get in 30 minutes a day. So for me, I'm an early morning riser. I get up before 6am every morning uh, and I do a run, a lift, a bike, something like that. You know, it's the one time of the day where I am away from technology. I don't have people talking to me and I can just kind of clear my mind. I can pray. I can uh, just focus and unload. And so uh, this is a non-negotiable for me. I got to exercise every day because I think it, it's what refocuses me and gets me calm and ready to approach the day. You know, that keeps me in shape for these climbs. Now I got to do a little more training for such, such things like Kilimanjaro, which we deal with altitude there. But um, I think the daily discipline of exercise prepares me for things like that. And more importantly, I think it prepares me to be um, more successful in life, whether that's as a husband, a father, uh, as an, you know, a manager, as an employee, whatever that might be.
1: There, there must be mornings when you wake up and go, Oh, really? I just like to, how do you get yourself going? You know, cause putting the boots on is the hardest.
0: It is. I, I just, I always focus on what I'm going to feel like when I'm done. And I know if I don't do it, I'm not going to feel good. But I know that when I'm done, even if I wake up early, I'm tired, I didn't get good sleep, that when I'm done, I'm going to feel much better. And that's, you know, that's looking to the results and kind of the goal and looking at where you're going to get. And then you realize that it's worth the hard work.
1: What are the biggest lessons that you've learned through your sporting career that you've taken into life?
0: Well, I mean, not to be repetitive, but uh, you know, I think a big part of it is just hard work and perseverance. It's that concept of grit. Um, You know, I think that's what you know has allowed me to have some success in the business world. Is that um, you know I I work hard, and when I get knocked down, I get back up, and that is something that you really learn through sport. And then you know, the discipline of sport um, is something that you know you can learn other places, but I think discipline is uniquely learned through sport. And you know, I've gone through a lot of hard things in life. And so now that I'm in the professional world, I go through hard things, but I went through some really hard things when I was a student athlete, you know, talked about some of the losses and um, just kind of the intense training. Uh, but I think, you know, hard work, perseverance, this concept of grit and discipline.
1: Tanner, thank you so much. I could have talked to you for another three hours. A really great conversation. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, th- thanks for having me on this morning. And uh, I wish the best to you and accolade.
1: Well, that brings a close to my conversation with Tana Gardner. There were some really great messages in our conversation and the things I'm going to think about are, be the master of things that take no skill, attitude and effort, the concept of grit, working hard and persevering in the face of obstacles, and how do I use setbacks as opportunities to get better? Thanks for listening. We love sharing these real stories, so please like, subscribe and share this episode with the people in your community. Feel free to reach out if you want to find out more or have a story to share of your own. Links to get in touch and other great resources are in the show notes. These podcasts would not be possible without a super production team. Big thanks to the team at Martino Consulting for producing this series of Realising Your Potential.